something great for us this morning. Do you believe that? Let's open up our hearts and minds to receive him this morning and also to lay down ourselves before him. This is our offering, not the fact only that we're here physically, but we're here for him in every way. Open to him, to receive him, to be changed and transformed by his presence.
sing worship is my warfare and worship is my warfare my praise is a weapon
scripture says in Ephesians 1.18, Paul writes to a church he loves, to a people that he loves, and he says to them, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance. I want to say, the Lord has brought Crossroads into a season of greater insight into what we are to be as his holy people in the earth. I'm going to get into that a little later, but he's tearing off the scales. You say, well, I don't think I have scales, but you know what? We're on a growth trajectory. You're on a growth. You know what? A four-year-old may not think they have any scales on their eyes until they get to 10. And then the 10-year-old thinks he's got it, ha ha has, knows what's going on until you're 16. And we all know a 16-year-old thinks they know everything until you get to 21. And then at 35, and then at 40, and I know I'm almost 57, and I know I don't know anything. That's one thing I figured out. And even with the things of God, I know that he has so much more to show me about who he is and therefore who I am. Because I am a son, a daughter, and you're a son or daughter of the Most High God. And with that comes the inheritance. And with that comes walking in the inheritance. No longer captives. No longer impoverished. No longer orphaned. Come on. And he's tearing off scales because sometimes we're looking at our lives as an orphan. Sometimes we're looking at our lives like we're impoverished. Sometimes we're looking at our lives like we're powerless. But the truth is this. The Holy Spirit wants to enlighten your eyes right now. The eyes of your heart. So that when you look at things, you look at it through the inheritance that he purchased for you as a son and daughter. Not just to get to heaven, but to dwell in that inheritance. In your life in 2022, the world tells you you have no inheritance. The world tells you that they're more powerful than you. But it's not true. It's simply not true. But I pray that your eyes may be opened. The eyes of your heart may be opened. That it just doesn't go off of you. That it just doesn't go, oh, well, wasn't that a powerful moment? It's not about a it's about becoming a powerful person every day in every situation I wake up look through the eyes of my inheritance into what I face come on I'm going to build my life I am tired of hearing weak Christians talk I'm saying you're not weak greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you so fired up, I feel like I'm going to burn. I'm going to burn. I'm going to burn for him. Let's sing that song because you know what? It's a prayer. It's actually more than a prayer. It's a declaration. I will build my life. I will do this, Lord. I will build. When I look at my life, when I make decisions about my life, when I talk about my life, I will build it on you, the rock. You are the rock that cannot be shaken. You cannot be shaken. The world can be shaken. 
Something about the way you move 
sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy I want you to know this what Jesus did on the cross was perfect was final the fact is this we live life with his victory in our situation I want you to be seated I'm not going to do an exhortation because I'm going to spend my time preaching to you today. But I want you to be open to what the Word has to say to you because we're in a season 
a season of community building here that the Lord has called me to. I told you last week, if you weren't here, I'll, I'll just reiterate it. La the week before last Sunday, I got arrested by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Some people were like, yeah, did you get arrested? Wow. I know you're starting a print, uh, jail ministry, but really? But the fact is this, I got, I mean, really, I had not had an encounter like that with the Holy Spirit in a long time. I mean, it was lightning, lightning in my bedroom, lightning. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus, spoke to me and really confronted me as a pastor on the attack of community in the church, especially in the Western part of the world. And I'm going after that because I believe the strength of the faith, the strength of the church for the next generation has everything to do with the strength of the church, the community of faith, what we call the ecclesia, which is in Greek, means the local gathering. It has everything to do with the strength of it in this generation. Do you hear me? We're fighting for the next generation by the strength of this house. We got to see that. And we can no longer be distracted with the seductions of the world. The deceptions of the world. The philosophies of the world. And I'm going to challenge you. The other thing too is I really felt like the Holy Spirit is saying, I'm not preaching yet. Hold the You got to take the offering first. Okay. Is that we're in a season where the Holy Spirit's going to pour out upon us. But listen. Scripture, and you all know that I come from a Jewish background. In Israel, for harvest, they have two rains. They have the former rain, which prepares the soil for seed. And it's a very light rain, and it's a very consistent rain. But it's very light because the soil needs to be saturated. So it's consistent and light, and it takes time. And and it creates the soil so the seed can go in it and germinate. Been here 10 years, and I feel like we've had the former rain, where there's been a time where the soil has been saturated. But I don't believe we've had harvest. We've had trickles, but we haven't had harvest, not the way that the Holy Spirit wants. But we're in the season of the latter rain. The Lord has brought us into a season of latter rain because latter rain prepares us to harvest. But latter rain is not a light rain. It is a heavy, pounding rain. And why, do, why is that? Because what it does is it, um, it causes the crops to have any chaff and things that do not belong there removed so that there can be harvest. A lot of times we want to resist that, see? We don't want the Holy Spirit to come in and tear away flesh because we kind of hold on to that. We kind of like the way that we think. It works for us. It feels good. You know, the flesh can feel really good. But we're in a season, I'm, I'm just telling you, I, I, it's not even my word. I'm just, basically, I'm a scribe and a messenger. We're in a season 
of the latter rain where the word of the Lord is going forth and it's going to feel kind of strong because the Lord says over this house, I'm going to give you a harvest and it's not going to be people from other churches. It's going to be people from the world. People who didn't know me, who are diseased with sin. And when I bring them to this house, these babies, you all are going to take care of them. And it's going to be a safe place. And it's going to be a place where you can say, follow me as I follow Christ. But we're getting there, see, because we got to live the life of follow me as I follow Christ. You know, I was talking with Sandy and our family pastor, children's ministries. I've also talked to when I was a principal and uh, getting the schools kind of set up for growth, which now they're just. But I'm going to say something. What the Holy Spirit said is don't ever have somebody taking care of children that you wouldn't want taking care of your grandchildren. So you go around and evaluate. Would you want that person to take care of your grandchildren? I'd be like, oh, no, I wouldn't. Then guess what? That person needs to go. Fast forward right now. The Lord's all, you know what? I'm going to send my babies. I'm going to send them to houses. But they're not going to be to houses where they're unhealthy houses. They're not going to be houses where people are living in sin secretly. Come on, I'm just going to get heavy with you right now. They're going to be houses where I can trust my babies with you. I want to be a person that says, Lord, you can trust your babies with me. When they come to this house, we're going to help them. We're going to heal them. We're going to see that they're free and that they know how to live in victory over sin. Not manage their sin, but be free from that sin. Come on. But we're in a season. You're saying, where's the harvest? We're in a season of the latter rain. Because the latter rain has to happen before the harvest. So you're saying, well, we want this place filled. It'll fill. But he's working on us, people. He's working on us. He's working on this house. He's working on us to be mature. He's working on us to be trustworthy. Not just when we come here. But in our home in our lives, in our marriages. Come on. I'm being real with you. This is my assault that I had. This was my arrest that I had by Jesus. And I wept. I wept so hard. Because the truth is, people, in the last long time, there's been decades the church hasn't been a safe place for babies been stumbling blocks for babies you got this big old thing of deconstruction of faith I don't know if you've ever heard that term but we hear it a lot in the leadership area where people who once came into the faith now feel lost feel like they don't understand what the faith's all about because of the damage done by the lives of other believers. Come on, I'm just, I'm just being real. Do you mind if I'm being real with you right now? And so people feel confused, lost, and believe even that it wasn't real. And the Jesus, see, his heart breaks. 
because he is real. And so Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, right now in the church, not just our church, but it's going. Holy Spirit's hovering, saying, you know what, I'm cleansing the house because there will be a harvest. There will be a harvest. And all these people that you see and say, oh, look at those lifestyles and look at that lifestyle and look at the sin in this camp and look how wicked our world is. You know what, you're right. You're right. Sometimes I'm all like, beam me up, God. I don't want to be here. And the Lord's, oh, Lynn, you need to be here for the harvest. You need to be here to seek and save that which is lost. Come on, are you with me? Are you with me? Are you with me? Are you with me? Because if you are, then you're going to receive the word of the Lord. And you're going to say, Lord, change me. Come on, search me, oh God. Search me, oh God. Search me. Lord, maybe I've been indifferent. Maybe I've been stubborn. Maybe I've been willful. Maybe I've been careless. Come on. Maybe I've been, well, my four no more. We're okay. Why would I care? I don't want to be inconvenienced. The fact is this, all of that is wrong when it comes to serving Jesus as his vessel. Come on. You know what? Can we make a recommitment right now? There's going to be a word going for us, but let's make a commitment. Lord, right now, I just pray over this house. Lord, I feel a little bit like what you're doing with the church, at least in the West. The Western part of the church is it's like Gideon's army. You're finding out who's the true soldiers, who's the true courageous ones, because less is more. Who's with you? Because, Lord, I know you believe in your body. You believe in your church. You believe in your children. You believe in us. And so, Lord, we surrender to you. We submit our ways to you. We submit our hearts to you. We submit our lives to you. Lord, we surrender. Lord, we're willing to open the eyes of our heart, Lord, to see to receive, Father, today in your name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we're going to get to more of that in a minute, but I got some announcements. Welcome, all of you. Uh, Pastor David wants the men are up at the retreat. Come on, show us those pictures of the men. Do you have the pictures of the men at the retreat? There's about 28 of them at the retreat. They got a beautiful a room. I know the women never got a room like that, actually. But it's a pretty room. And uh, there they are. I'm very um, proud of those men. I feel like, you know what? I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe in what God is doing amongst our men in this house. So I'm very excited for the report when they get back. Praise the Lord. If you have new information, updated information, if you weren't here last week, there's a form out in the lobby. Uh, you can fill it out if you want to know more about certain ministries. We had a great weekend last weekend, although it was burning hot in this house. I don't know if you were here, but boy, were we sweating in here. Now we have rain. Praise the Lord. We also have young professionals. Please invite people who are young professionals to our ministry there. We've got all kinds of things going on. September 24th, 
which is next Saturday, right? Intercessory prayer. Please be a part of that from 9 a.m. until it ends. We got to be people of prayer. We got to cover this house of prayer. On October 2nd, we have our annual business meeting. We have to tell you that every week until it comes because that's part of our uh, bylaws. So there we go, October 2nd. If you want to be a part of that, if you're a member, stay after second service. We're going to do some business. Women, we have our retreat coming up October 7th to 9th. It's going to be powerful. I already feel the Spirit of God on me as I prepare for that. And I'm just like... I don't know. It's one of those things where you go, I don't know. But it's going to be Holy Spirit-led and driven. So we're excited about that. Ministry partner of the week. We have um, our friends from this house, Jacob and Tatum Green. He's the son of Scott Nestor Green. And they work with YWAM in Atlanta, Georgia. Please keep them in your prayers. Recently, their second child that they had... Uh, passed away. He lived for about eight days. He, there was some things that had happened, you know, in while she was pregnant that the baby didn't have some things that were right. And there was a lot of prayer that went up. The baby was here with them for eight days. Keep them in your prayers. They're in a season of grief for that little baby. So keep them in your prayers. Finally, I want to show you a video because this week I was contacted by Karen. She is our one of our main partners in Nepal. She's all over the place. David calls her the Nepalese Lynn. We, you know, she and I were just like dynamite. And uh, but she showed us a bit. Can you put up that video? Come on. Okay, go ahead and run it. Sound if you can. I don't know. If not, that's fine. Okay. This is what's going on in Nepal. Um, it's the uh, West Nepal, flooding, tremendous flooding. She contacted me. 51 families had lost their homes. And um, she's up there ministering to them. Uh, she wanted, she asked me for some funds to purchase clothes, food, and blankets for these families who's lost everything other than what they have with them. So I sent her, I said, well, how much do you need? I made her, I had her tell me what the, the amount and she said $2,330. I don't know why $2,330, but anyway, she said $2,330. I said, okay, I'll send you $2,330. And so I did. Um, I want you to know that I just sent it. When needs come to me, see, I believe that we are to take care of the widows and the orphans and the people in need. That is part of us actively walking in faith. We don't go, oh, that's too bad. That's too bad. What's on a Netflix? I'm just being honest with you. I, when the need comes, I go, okay, the need came. So let's send. So I sent Pastor David, had Pastor David send some money. Um, if you would like to give towards that, I always just send. And then I say, well, you know what? <laughs> Whatever happens, happens. I mean, cover it eventually. I'll cover it if I have to. Um, if you'd like to give towards that need, please do so. I believe that part of the harvest that we're seeing in Nepal right now, the harvest of souls, the church planting that we're doing, has to do with every time we sow. Now, we don't sow to convert. We sow to love. So whether they ever convert is not the point. We don't say, oh, are you a Christian? Okay, you get a blanket. No, are you? No. We sow and love, just like Jesus did. But you know what? There's a power in that. 
Love is very powerful. And there is a harvest of souls coming forth because they experience the love of God. And I believe that because of the sewing that we've been doing in Nepal, remember we bought all the jackets? Remember the jackets? We ended up buying, I don't know how many jackets, 350, something like that. I mean, everybody's wearing those. It was, it was not North Face, Columbia. It was, it was a really good jacket, actually. North Face, Columbia, whatever kind of jacket. Everybody was wearing them up there in the mountains. I'm like, nice jacket. Nice jacket. You always want to give them the best. You don't want to give them junk. Don't ever donate junk, by the way. I don't like that. When somebody's going, do you want my junk? No, I want the best you have. <laughs> Festival Ranger said, well, I'm telling you the truth. I just got to go take it, go throw it away if it's junk. But if you want to give towards that, I believe that that has to do with the, the harvest of souls. In, in October, actually, what's today? The 17th? What is the day? I don't know. 18th. One month from today, we are having a team. The Martinez's, myself, Shelly, Pastor David, we're going to all be going to Nepal to hold three healing conferences throughout Nepal. Two up in the Himalayan villages, one in Kathmandu, the main city. We're going to go dedicate the, the rescue center for the trafficked people. We're going to dedicate that and launch it. This is connected to that. Do you understand what I mean? It's connected. So if you'd like to give to that, you don't have to. Don't ever give your tithes to that. If you have offerings to give to that, please do so. Uh, if you want, if you feel like the Lord has uh, spoken to you about that. But I do want to report that we have already given to that. And uh, that's part of the house, this house's mission. Please come forward. Ushers, we're going to pray for the offering. Lord, we thank you for this house. Lord, I know you love this house. You love this gathering of people in Morgan Hill. I know you love them. I know you love them so much that 10 years ago, you said you're no longer going to live in India full-time, Lynn. You're going to come and be with these people here in Morgan Hill. And I remember talking to the board, and I said to them, if God is taking me from India to Morgan Hill, he must really love Morgan Hill. But God, I know you had a plan to make this house a powerhouse. That it wasn't just for Morgan Hill. We will reach this region, but it was beyond Morgan Hill. It was for the nations. It was to make this house a powerful house. Yes, in our giving. Yes, in our sowing. But also in our character. In our witness. In the spiritual gifts that flow, the prophetic house that you have called this to be. And Lord, we will be everything, 100% of what you have called this house to be. And we thank you, Father, because you are with us. You are with us. So Lord, take these tithes and offerings and multiply them for your kingdom in your name. Amen. God bless you. God bless you.
you, worship team. Amen, Matthew. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You're here to hear the word of the Lord. I'm not here to waste your time. I'm here to speak what the Lord has put on my heart. And we're going to talk about believing and tearing down strongholds. You know, it's interesting. I'm going to get my water. We had rain in Gilroy. I don't know. Did you guys? Morgan Hill had rain, right? Okay. We had a lot of rain. I love that it rained today. It's a sign. It's a sign. The Holy Spirit's movement. You know, it's interesting because tearing down strongholds is actually uh, a catchphrase in the church. People outside of the church, people not around church lingo, go like, what does that mean? But people who have been around the church for a while understand. They've heard it. They know it has to do with something bad, something ungodly that we don't want to have an influence or to be a part. And usually in the church over my time, I have found that people are um, typically think of a stronghold as being something outside of them. So let me give you an example. They'll think, um, you know, there's a Buddhist temple or there's something. Let's go tear down that stronghold. But that's not really what the strongholds are about, actually. And I want to educate you about strongholds today. Uh, a couple weeks ago, if you listened to my Feel to the Brim, I talked about this. Um, lately, I feel like the Feel to the Brims is like, I don't know about you, but I just feel like sometimes I just, want to, I just want to get in my office, lay on the floor, and just ball my head off. That's how the Holy Spirit is so on me when I'm talking on the Feel to the Brim. But the Lord wants to teach us about what strongholds are about. But today also, I'm going to tell you, you're going to feel a little bit of impact of maybe there's some strongholds that you have in your life that are to be torn down. Now, a stronghold is actually, according to Scripture, the scriptural context, when we're talking about what Paul has to say, because the major scripture that I'm talking about is 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, has to do with a belief system, an ungodly belief system. And, and this belief system is not in alignment with the word of God, with Christ Jesus. It is amazing to me, and I would say even in my own life, that there's been belief systems that I have had that have not been in alignment with the Lord. And then I wonder why am I walking without victory, without power? Because my belief system, I believe something that was not in alignment with the things of God. So we're going to talk about that. So I'm going to be confronting, but I cannot talk about a stronghold without confronting some strongholds. And I'm going to do that today because that's what Paul did in the, to the church of Corinth, whom he loved greatly. Now, I want to remind you, Paul also writes later in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. This is what he says. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. How many of you believe that? Yes, we believe it. Okay, let's move on then. It penetrates even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, which means it judges the thoughts and purposes of the heart. So when somebody's preaching the word of God, it's supposed to judge your heart 
your purposes, your mindsets. Therefore, we should not be offended when something's confronting us if it's embedded in the Word of God. Preachers should never preach to offend. I don't like that shock preaching, you know. That's, we preach the Word of God. Let the Holy Spirit do His work. Let's read. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You know, it's interesting. The wording that he uses is very strong and intense. Demolish. We demolish. If you demolish, have you ever seen something get demolished? There's nothing left. In other words, you can't take the pieces and put them back together. You demolish it. You just don't take it apart and leave it in major pieces like a puzzle so you can put it together. No, you are to demolish it. Which shows the power of the mindset that if those thoughts are not under Christ Jesus, they can be very controlling over you. We're going to get to that because Paul writes this to the Corinthian church. And I want us to look at the books of the Corinthians, first and second, because what Paul says in second Corinthians has everything to do with what happened in first Corinthians. These are two letters, and Paul's very familiar with the Corinthian church, kind of like how familiar I am with you. He was with them for at least 18 months. He knew these people. These are people that he knew. So he was intimately familiar with them, and he now knows that they have some sin in the camp. Actually, the camp is permeating with sin, and so Paul is going to confront these people because he knows where this is headed. It is headed to the destruction of the faith of people, of the new converts, of that community of faith, the witness of that community to the world. So he is going to boldly confront for the righteousness of God. Righteousness, the word righteousness, not very popular. Sounds really religious, but the truth is this. Righteousness is just making things right with God, being in agreement with God. Now, we know that we, it's not our righteousness, that it is his righteousness, but this word is to the Corinthian church. It is to the believers, and therefore, he's talking to people who have the Holy Spirit in them already. He's not saying to people who don't have the Holy Spirit that you're to be righteous. He's saying to those of you that have the Holy Spirit, you have the power for righteousness. You know what that means. Amen. But let's start here. Paul, you know, it's never easy to confront. Never. And Paul has the boldness to confront. We have to be bold to confront because if we're not, we allow things. We become, per, we're permissing, having, per, giving permission to things. One of the things that lately our pastoral staff did, the Holy Spirit said to me, you're accommodating things. 
in this house. And I said, ooh, I want you to go. This is what Lori, you can ask my pastoral staff. They will tell you this is what happened. Get your pastoral staff together. Go into the fellowship hall. Get in front of the whiteboard. And I want you guys to write down things that you have accommodated. You have let people give you those things as an excuse for not being faithful. For not doing what they said they were going to do. Oh, it's going to be a quiet one today. I wish Pastor David was here so I can go, Pastor David, do you have my back today? Holy Spirit has a Jesus is here. He has my back. So you know what we did? I said, okay. And I, and I was talking, listen. This was the Holy Spirit confronting us. I said, I got the whiteboard and I put my staff out there. And I said, okay. What have we let people say to us? And we've said, that's okay. That's okay. It's okay. What have we done? Well, it's a reason. No, it's an excuse. No, we've accommodated. And we begin to write down. What have we, have, what have we accommodated? What have we accommodated? Now, the Lord said, now go be bold to confront in righteousness. So Paul does this, you know, like, uh-oh, uh-oh, Pastor Lynn. <laughs> Paul does this for the Corinthian church. Why? Because he loves them, and he knows where it's going to head if he doesn't do it. Scripture says in Proverbs 28.1, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. I'm going to say this, though, about boldness. We can have our boldness prevented in our lives if we live compromised. It's difficult to be bold if we're being compromised. Paul is able to be bold with people because he's not living compromised. Paul is able to say in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That is our goal. That is our standard. That I could say, follow me as I follow Christ. But therefore, I better watch how I live so that other people, when they follow me, follow me in the direction of Christ. See, when we are compromised in our personal lives, we... Step away from being bold for righteousness. We really do. Because in our minds we know, you know what, I have disparity between what I'm saying and how I'm living. And this is the thing. The Lord is confronting the house of the Lord to say we're not going to have disparity between how we live and what we say. Pastor David and I, we have this saying, and I would say we say it once a week at least. Because as leaders, and we have a lot of things going on, we have a lot of things going on. We have a lot of things in the nations. We have a lot of things in India and Nepal, and I have the schools, and I have the ministries, and the life groups, and the men's and women's. We have a lot of things underneath us. We have financial things. And there are always opportunities to compromise. To say, it's okay. Or, you know, is that that's so bad? And every week, I would have to say, there's a moment when I say... Keep it clean. Keep it clean. Any way we cut it, we cut came out the same. Follow me as I follow Christ. That's the challenge. That's a challenge, but that's what, that is not a challenge just for leaders. That's a challenge for all of us. How many of you here, 
we don't have a very big group. Most of the people that come for service usually are believers, pretty mature believers. How many here have been a believer for at least 10 years? Raise your hand. Okay. The vast, everybody except for those who aren't very old and they've been at least most of their life. So this is, a, this is the proper sermon message from the Lord to mature believers. Romans 12.1 says this, 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What did I just read in 2 Corinthians 10.3-5? Take captive every thought and bring it under Christ Jesus. That's renewing your mind. The renewing of your mind. Then, then, why? Because you'll have the mind of Christ. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, we cannot do this in our own righteousness. You cannot do it in your own power. Romans 3.10. None is righteous, no, not one. Remember that. It is never done in your own power. That's why Romans 12.1 and 2 is very important. Because it says, I am a living sacrifice. I am to be surrendered to him. When I'm surrendered to him, then I'm living in his power. Some of us have the belief system. This is already a con confrontation. I can't do it, Pastor Lynn. I can't really do that. No, you can. Well, you don't know how broken I am. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what kind of lifestyle I had in the past. You don't know what kind of childhood I have. Well, I'm going to tell you this. If the word of God said you can do it, you can do it. You know, I look at people and I look at situations and you say, well, you come from a Christian family. You come from a pastor's home, da, 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 da. You fill in the blanks. You know, when I look at brokenness, we all have brokenness. But you know what the glue to our brokenness is? The grace of God. And the grace of God is not just um, forgiveness. It is called grace in the New Testament. is called charism. It's a Greek word for gift. In other words, I have gifted you with my Holy Spirit. So the glue that holds your life, all those broken pieces that you said, I didn't get what I needed in my childhood. I didn't get what I needed when I was a teenager. I didn't get what I needed. All these things, all that brokenness, God puts it together with his grace. Guess what? You have the Holy Spirit in you and you can do it. You can live righteously. You can say, follow me as I follow Christ. If you do what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I'm a living sacrifice. You know, it's interesting about this book, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. You know who took the book in those days? Did you know there was no texting? There was no email. There was not even necessarily a postal system. But there were carriers. And the book, the letter, Corinthians, was carried by Timothy to the Corinthian church. By Timothy. You know Timothy? You know who Timothy is, remember? The young man, Timothy, that was Paul's protege. He carries this very bold, confrontive letter to the Corinthian church. I like that. I think that's not... Uh, 
a coincidence because here you have this man, this young man, Timothy, who eventually becomes the pastor of the Ephesian church. And it's interesting that he suffers or struggles with the spirit of fear. Do you remember what Paul writes to him? 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 8. This is Paul's last letter before he dies. He writes it to Timothy. Timothy, who had been part of his ministry. Timothy, who had co-authored books with him. Timothy, who now is a leader in Ephesus. And if you know anything about Ephesus, it was mirrored much of what Corinth had in that it had the goddess Diana there. And everybody came to worship this very sexualized goddess there. And this is what he writes to Timothy. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. So do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God." You know, it's a lot of times we quote that scripture, for God has not given to you a spirit of fear, but that's not what it says. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. So join me, Timothy. Don't be afraid to suffer for the gospel. Now remember, go back, Corinthians, Timothy, young Timothy, bringing a bold letter. Actually, the Corinthian church didn't like what Paul had to say. They did not like his confrontation. And yet, God has Timothy chosen to bring this bold letter. Later, we find Paul saying to Timothy, do not have the spirit of fear. Why? What does this connect to? The fact is this. Timothy had a stronghold of the mind, the spirit of fear which could have prevented him from not confronting his own congregation, not confronting the people in his own congregation in Ephesus, because Ephesus was just as uh, messed up as Corinth was. But Paul says, you know what? God has not given to you that spirit of fear, so you got to take it down, because what God has given to you is power, love, and self-discipline, sometimes translated as a sound mind, meaning the way that you think. Listen, sound mind, self-discipline, we are able to confront our own thoughts. We know that because Paul says that in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. That I am going to take captive every thought and bring it under Christ Jesus. So Paul says this to Timothy. I'm going to say this over you. Are you afraid to confront things? Are you have the spirit of fear to confront things maybe in your home, in your own self, in your life, in your business, whatever it may be? That is a stronghold. That is a stronghold of your mind that you need to take captive and bring it under submission to Christ Jesus. Because no matter what, the word says this, for I, God says, have not given to you a spirit of fear. You know what's interesting about Timothy, church history, so Timothy receives the last letter from Paul. Paul dies. But you know how Timothy dies? 
Timothy dies when he's about 80 years old. He's a bishop. And he is stoned by some people in Ephesus, some of the Diana worshipers in the streets. That's the history. So join me, Timothy, in my suffering. Do not be afraid. For he has not given to you a spirit of fear. I'm going to say this. The Lord is in the season of raising up a righteously bold church. Now, I say righteously because it's not angry. Did you know boldness is not anger? So many people think that being bold is anger. I got to get angry enough to confront. You know what? If you're angry, don't confront. You're not going to do it with the Holy Spirit. If you love, if you are immersed in the love of God, that's the time to confront. Because I'm going to say this, in our confrontation, it's better received when somebody knows they love me. They love me lots. So Paul first starts in a righteous boldness to confront things in 1 Corinthians. The second thing that he does is he has a call to purity. It's interesting because this call to purity actually has to do with a lot of things. But what I'm going to emphasize in is you have a situation in Corinth where the people who have come out of the Corinth uh, culture, they grew up going to family parties and events, and it was always surrounded by the temples. The temples around, because there was no restaurants those days. That's when temples had lots of food, and that's where the celebrations culturally came from. And we find here in the scriptures, what Paul is confronting is that the believers are returning to these things. They're returning to these um, social events that actually have kind of an aura with them of the gods of the world because they're at the temples. That's where you get into idol meat being eaten and whether you should or should not eat it and all of those things is because they're going to celebrations and not necessarily was it a religious celebration, but it was held in the temples. A lot of people misunderstand what Paul is saying in this scripture, but it has everything to do with faith, the community of faith. See, the thing is, is that Paul is saying, you know what, I, I want to address you all returning to some things that you left when you became a believer. Because even if you say, well, it's not going to do any harm for me, it may do harm for other believers around you. So I can handle it. I can handle doing that. And I'll still believe. I'll still be in the faith. But Paul says, but what about other people? who that will be a foothold, that will ensnare them, the people who have weaker faith, or maybe they're coming out of something like an addiction, that it will ensnare them and cause them to return to that thing. 1 Corinthians 8.1. So he's addressing these things. And it has to do with purity. Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. The very first thing that Paul says is he confronts spiritual pride because spiritual pride 
gives us the thought that we can handle certain things. I can handle it, Pastor Lynn. And that spiritual pride actually brings us into a deception. So he first confronts the spiritual pride because spiritual pride says, don't tell me what to do. If you have that attitude when you're hearing the word of the Lord according to Hebrews chapter 4, remember why did I have us hear the word that says what the word of God is about? It judges the hearts and the thoughts and the mind. If you have that, you know what? You're struggling with some spiritual pride. So the Corinthians, they struggled with that because you know what? With the Corinthians, well, I prophesy. I use, I'm used with spiritual gifts. And the fact that that was going on made them have the belief that it was okay for them to have lifestyles that were not righteous. But they were actually dirty. They're, the gifts going forth were not clean because they were not embedded in love. And they were not embedded in holiness. Come on. So they have that attitude, 1 Corinthians 8, 2. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. Paul is saying, you know what, I'm going to say this. You may be able to handle it. That may be very true. You may be able to handle alcohol. You may be handled maybe certain things that you watch and you say, I don't get into an addiction. It doesn't bother my mind, whatever. Maybe, maybe that's true. But what about somebody else? What about the weaker in your midst? Can they handle it? This is what Paul is. To, I'm just being real with you. I'm just telling you what the scripture says. He's talking about healthy community. He's talking about safe community here. He's saying, you know what? You don't just live for yourself anymore because we are a body. We are a body now. And so what you do affects other people. And yeah, you may be able to handle it. It may cause you to say, you know, I still can be a person who is loyal to Christ and be exposed to those things. But what about somebody around you that follows you into that very arena that is a believer that it ensnares them and causes them to lose their faith? Are you responsible for that? Well, let's look. 1 Corinthians 8, 7 through 13. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as being sacrificed to a god. And since our conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and do not know better if we do. So he's saying, I get you that the idol meat can be eaten, but that's not the point. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For, now remember, why did I say how many of you are 10 years older in Christ? This is why, right here. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. 
when you sin against them in this way. See, so what does he say? When you do this, you're sinning against them. You know what? This, I haven't heard somebody preach on this in a long time. Decades. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Bam! Follow me as I follow Christ. So I am a responsible party in this. How I live privately, publicly, has everything to do with my brothers and sisters around me. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Oh, Pastor Lynn, won't you just tell us how powerful we are? I am. I am telling you how powerful you are. Because this is the thing. Paul is addressing a stronghold. He is addressing the stronghold of selfishness. He is addressing the stronghold of fleshliness. That I care more about myself then I care about you. I can handle it. So I'll, whatever. No. Your response. See, when we enter into the body of Christ, we're not in it as an individual. We're in it as a group. And what we do affects other people. And he is addressing a stronghold of the minds of these puffed up spiritually proud Christians functioning in the spiritual gifts saying, listen, when you're behaving that way, when you're making decisions, you're choosing fleshliness and you're choosing selfishness over choosing me and loving other people. No, he's, you're right that you can eat that idol meat. You're right, but that's not the point. The point is that you don't use your freedom to cause other people to stumble. Spiritual pride. He starts with spiritual pride. Because it's a stronghold internally. We are a prophetic house. God has called this house to be a prophetic house. You know, I'm a prophetic person, very prophetic person. But I know, and you know what I've noticed, and this is okay, but at the same time concerning prophetic ministry it's becoming very popular. But it's concerning because, yes, we are to be a prophetic house, but we got to be a clean house. Or else those gifts, those spiritual gifts will be used wrongly. They'll be used in a way that will create destruction or even worse, the destruction through permission of remaining captive to sin. Woo, Jesus, help me. See, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, if you look at 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about the unity of the body. And in 1 Corinthians 14, he talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But you know what he says in 1 Corinthians 13 that holds all the glue together? Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love... I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. What is he saying here? He's saying when you may be able to handle it, 
But may your love be greater than that. May you say, you know what? I'm going to just say, I have no temptation to drink. I don't. I don't because it's not a part of my background at all. My husband, on the other hand, woo. But I, I want you to know, I'm not, this is not a sermon about alcohol, but I'm going to say this. For the sake of my babies in this house that have come out of addiction, I don't drink, not a drop. Because I know that I want to make sure that they can follow me as I follow Christ. Now, like I said, this is not a message about alcohol. You can put in anything. There's certain things I don't expose my eyes to. Okay? We can go in other directions here. I, I don't expose my eyes to certain things, not because it will create ensnare me to be addicted to something, but more importantly, because I can say, follow me as I follow Christ. So when I'm looking for, you know, I want to relax, I want to watch something on TV or Netflix or an Amazon Prime, I'm very selective. It may not ensnare me, but you know what? I want to live my life. So however you slice it, listen, you say, well, you're the pastor. You're supposed to be that. You know what? You're supposed to be that way too. You're supposed to be that way. Paul's not saying, well, you know what? I don't go into the temples and I don't do these things. No, he's saying you all are not to do those things because the babies in the house, the people who are weaker, maybe those who come from addiction or things that can ensnare them, we want to protect them. Why? Because we love them. We love them. My love for you is greater than my selfishness. My love for you is greater than some sort of impulse to do something fleshly. That's what Paul is writing about here. Ooh, Pastor Lynn, I got to move on. So he talks about spiritual impurity, which means spiritual pride and the sin of selfishness. Because when we sin against, if you get anything out of this, that scripture says, when you sin against your brother in that way, according to Corinthians 8.12, you sin against Christ. Let that hit you. When I was studying that, I was like, wow, you sin against Christ. That's how much love the body of Christ is to have for one another. We being many are one body. We are accountable. To, you may not want to hear it. You may want to go, well, I'll just go to another church and be a spec. You know what? But that's not what the body is about. We got to preach the word here. Yeah, it may, fit, it may offend you. You mean to say what my, I do in my private world affects other people? Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely affects your children. You know what else? Strongholds in the internal world. See, Paul's dealing, it's not like we, we get into, oh, I'm going to go tear down the Buddhist stronghold. I'm going to go tear down the Hindu stronghold. I'm gonna, know what? Tear down the stronghold inside your head. Tear it down. <laughs> That's where it begins. Paul's like the internal world. 2 Corinthians 10. We're going back to that. 3 through 5. 
We're going to go back to that. Because see, this is connected. 1 Corinthians is connected to 2 Corinthians. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Let me just say this. There are a lot of things that are coming to us in our mindset, some of which we inherited or in our, in our upbringing that we have, that we are to demolish. It starts with the internal world taking down strongholds. There are strong philosophies of the world. There are arguments in the world constantly trying to convince us there are things in the world even religious folk people on youtube people talking people saying things that are okay but i'm going to tell you according to the word of god they are not okay and yet christians he's talking to christians here he's saying you know what are you living with philosophies of the world are you living with arguments from the world those are the things that you're to take captive and bring them in submission to Christ Jesus. You know, even those of us that people come to, are we consulting other things other than the word of God? Are we recommending things that are the philosophies of the world to other people? Rather than saying, you know what? That's a philosophy of the world. You know what the context when Paul is also talking about the idol meat, the context also has to do with sexual purity. And I'm going to hit on this a little bit. Because the truth is this. Sexual purity in Corinth was very connected, or sexual impurity in Corinth was very connected to the religious practices of the day. It was ex the expression of that time was sexual freedom, was a form of becoming all you can be spiritually. Sounds familiar. And Paul is connecting the idol meat. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 6 through 8, you will find that the idol meat that he's talking about, people going in to do these feasts, also exposed the believers, the new believers, to things that they had struggled with in the past, such as sexual impurity. So it wasn't just about idol meat that they were eating, but it was about exposure. One of the things that I want to say, and Paul is addressing it in both 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, is that when we have spiritual pride... And we start going places we shouldn't be going or places that can create compromise. It opens up the door for us to believe philosophies of the world. For us to once again recapture those things in our mind. And I have found over the course of the last few decades that the church, people in the church, the average believer has a lot of worldly philosophies that they guide their life by. This word should not offend you. This word should not offend you because you are to have the mind of Christ. 
And the mind of Christ was never guided by worldly philosophies. 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Isn't it interesting how he goes from food to sex? You find that interesting? You know what? Because we're not talking about food here. We're talking about a philosophy. But by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead. And he will also raise us. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality and all other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your your bodies are temples, not temples pagan, not temples pagan. That's not where you need to go. Temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You are not your own. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies wherever you go, wherever you go. It's interesting. Say, well, that's not my struggle. Sex thing's not my struggle. Hmm, well, you know what? It is our problem. It is a world's problem. And I'm going to tell you this. It is a permeating problem, even in the church. A lot of times people kind of latch on to certain sexual perversions and things that are against Scripture, and, and you know what? Those things are wrong. But did you know that every one of us was baptized into a relationship with Christ, is one with Christ, and our sexuality... Every person in this room belongs to the Lord. It's interesting how Paul leaps from food to sexuality so quickly. But it's interesting also that when we have spiritual pride, I found that people who end up in sin, whether it's sexual sin or other types of sin, it could be stealing money from their business or whatever kind of sin, you know what? It always begins with spiritual pride. Don't tell me, Pastor Lynn. Don't tell me what to do. It begins there, and Paul is pretty much addressing that. He is confronting spiritual pride, which leads to spiritual impurity, which leads to impurity in our lives. That's how the enemy gets us. Just be a little proud. Be a little stubborn. Be a little willful. Be a little, don't tell me what to do. Don't submit yourself. Don't surrender yourself. It's okay. You know how many times the it's okay starts? It's okay if I, it's okay if I email that my old uh, girlfriend from high school. It's, you say, Pastor, what are you talking about something? No, I'm not talking about anybody. I like to get ahead of the game. <laughs> I've always been that way. I'm getting ahead of the game. You know what? The Holy Spirit was given to us for freedom. 
for freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. But it is not freedom to sin. It's freedom from sin. It's not free. Some people think it's freedom to sin. No, it's freedom from sin. You have power over sin. You have power over those thoughts, those thoughts that try to entangle you. Taking the stronghold of the mind, bringing it in captivity to Christ Jesus. And I demolish that stronghold. I demolish it. Come on. Woo. Well, Pastor Lynn, I have the right to do anything. I'm free. But you're not free to be a stumbling block to others. Because when you are, you have sinned against Christ. You know, this world and the philosophies that it has, it's very um, permeating. I'm going to say this. When it comes to sexual purity, the church of Jesus Christ is in the severe minority. Not just in the minority, but in the severe minority. And when I say sexual purity, you say, Pastor Lee, you're making me so uncomfortable, huh? The enemy wants you to believe that sex belongs to him. But your sexuality belongs to him. Come on. I'm sick of the church thinking that the enemy's way and some sort of capturing sex, that it belongs to him, but it belongs to God. That's why Paul writes the way that he writes in this. But there are a lot of worldly philosophies out there surrounding, you name it, sexuality is one of them. And I just say that specifically because this is the subject matter Paul writes about. But it can't be what you do with your time, your priorities, what you're actually worshiping, what's idolatry for you, returning to things that you came out of, patterns that you used to have, and then you got cold, you got lukewarm. Holy Spirit. You got to take captive those thoughts that say it's okay. You got a stronghold of the mind that's telling you living a certain way is okay or thinking a certain way is okay or, oh, I'm just being, you know, men, this is one that really gets me. I'm going to just, oof. Well, I'm just being a man. You know, man, men are very visual. You know what? You have the mind of Christ. I don't care. Men, women, there's no excuse. We have the mind. Quit using it as an excuse when the Lord says, take captive those thoughts. Bring them under submission to Christ. You do have power. If you don't, then you are saying the cross was not powerful enough for you. And according to Hebrews, it was the final sacrifice. And it was the perfect sacrifice. And I'm going to tell you if 12 men, 11 which survived, followed Jesus and became men of God that transformed this world, 
men can do it, women can do it, young people can do it, we can do it. In 2022, we can do it. Quit making excuses. Because you know what that excuse is? It's simply a stronghold that you need to take captive. That's it. It's just a stronghold. Because it's not in agreement with the word of the Lord. And what does Hebrews 4.12 say about the word of God? Let's read it. It says this, for the word of God is active and alive, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and purposes of the heart. I'm going to let the word of God come and judge it, Lord. Come and judge it. And you say, I will take captive those thoughts and bring them under Christ Jesus. Maybe it's a spirit of fear. Maybe it's a spirit of, it's not my job. It's not my business. No, it is your business. The body of Christ and other people in the body, that's your business. You should care. The next generation, you know what the statistics are on this generation? Leaving by droves the church, embracing the things of the world. The It's leaving. Come on. Let's get it together and let's start living it. Come on. I'm, I'm being honest. I'm fighting for this. I'm fighting for this. Every Sunday, every time I'm with people. People are afraid to meet with me sometimes. I get the preach on too fast. I know. Teresa told me you should wear more bright colors. I said, I'm already too intense. People are just going to have a harder time. <laughs> She's coming with all those bright colors too. Stay in black, Pastor Lynn. Stay in black. So we can actually handle it. I don't care. Paul the Apostle was intense because we're fighting for it. Holy Spirit, come on right now. I want you to stand. Say, Pastor Lynn, what are you talking about? Talking about you. Talking about me. No more excuses. That's what I want you to get from this word. No more excuses. Right now, I just want you to do an inventory of yourself. Let the Holy Spirit lead. Listen, you have to digest the word. I don't digest it for you. The Lord just says, tell them. It's between you and him digesting it. But let the Holy Spirit speak to you? Is there some things? Are there some philosophies? Is there some advising and consulting that you have given people that have been aligned with the world and not the th things of God? Have you just kind of been lax? Have you justified yourself? Which is a stronghold rather than saying, you know what, if the word says it, I can do it. No more excuses. Take captive those thoughts. Bring them under Christ Jesus. Timothy, for I have not given to you, the Lord says, a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. For I have not given to us the spirit of fear. Sometimes when we have to take captive things, well, that means we got to confront the spirit of fear because sometimes we're serving certain philosophies because they go really well with our spirit of fear. They cozy up with our spirit of fear. Holy Spirit, right now. Holy Spirit, right now, you know. There's a battleground 
but you said you demolish the strongholds you don't leave them there lord you give us the power to demolish demolish the strongholds demolish the strongholds no matter what no matter what it is lord you give us the power to demolish the stronghold bring it down bring it down i bring it down i bring it down lord i recognize the power to demolish a stronghold i'm not going to allow that thought that philosophy that argument to be lord over me but rather the mind of christ Increase right now, Lord. Holy Spirit searches the minds and the thoughts of us, Lord. Right now, if you need prayer, come down to the prayer teams. If you need prayer, you need agreement. Right now, come on. Come on. Let the Holy Spirit, come on, confront those things. If you have something to confront, confront it. Don't walk out of this place without confronting it. Holy Spirit, more of you, Lord, more of you, Lord. Spirit break out. More of you, Lord. For the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal, but they are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. They are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. What have you accommodated? What have you harbored? What have you said it's okay to, that it's not okay? This is the day, this is the day. The Holy Spirit is coming to you and he's speaking to you and he's saying, come on, let's demolish that together. Let's demolish that thing that's trying to ensnare you, that's trying to pull you under, that's trying to get you distracted, that's trying to make you lukewarm. Come on. receive the rain we receive the rain that prepares us for the harvest we ask for a harvest and you say okay then I prepare you for it so Lord this house as a leader of this house Lord we receive the rain of God. May we not be a people who try to fight all the wickedness or the different things that the world is trying to throw at us with 
human weapons with man-made weapons. So many believers I see and I hear them trying to fight with man-made weapons, man-made philosophies, man-made arguments, rather than divine weapons, divine weapons. And those divine weapons are even revealed to us as we pull down strongholds in our mind so that we are enlightened, so that we have the revelation, so that we, as Ephesians says, that our eyes are open, Lord, to the inheritance of the sons and daughters of God. Lord, I pray over this house that we would be a tender house, a soft-hearted house, that we would be a house that welcomes, Lord, the word of the Lord, that responds to the word of the, of the Lord. We would not be stiff-necked, willful, but rather that we would be tender to receive, Lord, your word, so that it could produce a beautiful thing in our life. Lord, I know that's the way I want to be. Until the day I die, Lord, a tender heart towards you. Hungry, hungry, not for the things of the world, but hungry for you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this word. Lord, it was a hard word. It was a word that was difficult. Sometimes to hear, sometimes, Lord, even as we're digesting it, to digest it in a way that applies to our life, that produces a healthy, strong believer. Lord, it's hard, but Lord, we know that it's for our good, and it's for our health, and it's for our strength in you, Lord Jesus. And so we thank you for it, Lord, in your name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. If you need prayer, you can receive it, but have a great afternoon.